Good morning and welcome to the Coinbase Institutional Markets Call. It's another Tuesday, which means it's another call, another time for our experts to update you on what's going on in crypto. Today's call was recorded on Tuesday 31st, so please keep that in mind if you're watching it uh, later in the week. So today I'm joined by George Toropov and Greg Sutton, two senior CES sales traders, David Duong, our head of institutional research, and Sid Shakar, one of our resident DeFi wizards and also a senior blockchain manager here at Coinbase. So to our agenda, we are going to kick off with a market update from George, running through what's been going on in the crypto markets. We've got a huge macro week ahead. So David's going to run through what to look out for there, both from a Fed perspective uh, and other central banks, as well as from an earnings perspective. There's a ton going on there. So expect that to lead the week's price action. And then we're going to run across to Greg to run through some trade flows, what we're seeing on the desk in anticipation of that big week. And then lastly, we're going to run through some DeFi and Web3 with Sid uh, to see what's going on in that space. We've seen some node failures, a lot of news on stable coins, so a lot to run through there as well. But without further ado, George, over to you. What is going on in crypto this week? Thank you, Ben, and uh, happy Tuesday, everyone. So looking at the price section, uh, the market really spent most of the last week consolidating. Um, slight upward move across the majors over the weekend. And it was interesting to see that this was actually happening in a really low liquidity environment. It almost looked like, you know, BTC were going to fly straight to 25K. But then actually uh, yesterday on Monday, uh, we have retraced um, all of that move back. Looking at the uh, technicals in BTC, I think the bearish divergence I mentioned in last week's call on the daily chart is uh, still very much on the radar. But uh, having said that, I think if equities and the Fed this week don't spoil the party, then, uh, you know, we might as well see uh, 25K in BTC uh, in the near term. But looking over to uh, derivatives, um, a couple of interesting uh, bits there. Uh, so uh, if you look at OI changes in options specifically, uh, then uh, there were quite a few changes uh, for the 3rd of Feb expiries, um, namely uh, 21 and a half and 22 and a half K puts um, open interest increasing in those quite a bit. And uh, if you look at calls, um, it was mainly 24, 25 and 26 K calls. So I think it's pretty clear that this is uh, just after the Fed. So it could be, you know, I, I guess a directional play on the one hand, but then uh, the other option would be obviously uh, that this could be some kind of vault play, uh, potentially someone buying strangles to uh, go long vol um, over the Fed. Um, because as we all know, obviously, um, volatility tends to increase on the days of the Fed and uh, immediately thereafter. And uh, one other fun fact, actually, uh, regarding Bitcoin um, in Nigeria, because the government is trying to go fully cashless and actually has limited uh, ATM withdrawals uh, for the citizens, to uh, just $44 per day, um, Bitcoin on one of the local exchanges was trading up to uh, 38,000 US dollars. So it's a massive premium compared to the um, global market. Wow, and is there, is there much volume going through at that, at that level or is it kind of lots of retail using kind of very, very small amounts and yeah. other exchanges across Africa trading at similar premiums? No, I, th I think this is uh, specifically a Nigerian case. And uh, I mean, I don't think that the volumes were pretty big there. Uh, so it, it does seem to be more retail driven. Uh, but and it's also, but it was, it's not the first time that this is happening. I think the last time was in 2021, if my memory serves me right, when um, the government there said that uh, regulated financial institutions can't work with crypto providers. And then it also spiked. So, um, you know, I guess it kind of 
part of the appeal that, that Bitcoin has in countries with, uh, let's say, unstable uh, inflationary um, regimes and unstable currencies. Got it. That makes sense. And I, I want to come back to your comment around BTC at 25K. Um, I think I, I think we'll have a lot to discuss there in the, in the macro section and whether or not the market is kind of pricing uh, kind of the Fed to protect perfection in, in some ways. But I see here on, on your chart here, you're at DYDX, a solid move here. What, what's been going on there? Yes, looking across altcoins, it was a bit of a mixed bag, actually, last week. So um, DYDX, obviously, pretty solid move, up 39% in the week. So background to that is um, that DYDX insiders have been allocated roughly 50% of the entire token supply. It's roughly 500 million tokens. And then 30% of these tokens were scheduled to get uh, released this week, actually. Now, part of that, um, at least 83 million tokens have now been delayed until December this year. Um, which really helped, obviously, um, was a, a nice headline and helped create this positive momentum for um, uh, for DYDX. Uh, but it's not really clear um, as to what the final number that will be delayed exactly is. And it's also, you know, pretty unclear um, as to how the exact unlock schedule uh, will look. Uh, but certainly helped the, the coin perform pretty well over the last week. And one other thing um, I wanted to mention here is... Um, the other big theme uh, that has been gaining traction is the uh, ZK narrative. Uh, so zero knowledge uh, related coins um, have been also doing quite well. So Mina is one example here, um, L1 that's using ZK technology. And then uh, you had Polygon uh, also with its upcoming uh, ZK EVM mainnet launch. So effectively what they're trying to do with that is um, solve the problem of previous ZK rollups uh, that weren't necessarily able to execute all operations necessary for smart contracts. Uh, so the, the solution that Polygon is working on there um, could be quite interesting. On the back of that, uh, that was up around 7.5% as well. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, the um, the ZK stuff. So we saw Han Ventures backing uh, Sovereign Labs uh, in a recent funding round. I still feel, and, and David, love to bring you in here, I still feel like we're still trying to understand what that landscape looks like. And this year is going to be a really big year for ZK technologies in general, but it's unclear, I guess, who the winner or winners are going to be. Yeah. So right now it seems like it's a three horse race between ZK Sync, Scroll and Polygon with their ZK EVM product. Um, I would say that we have very little information still to go on with some of these projects. So it seems like Scroll could have some fairly interesting technology behind it, but we don't really uh, have the evidence to kind of back that up yet. Uh, overall, I would say markets are looking for some sort of uh, like EVM equivalence, which is really kind of like the goal of these ZK EVMs, so that we could actually uh, seamlessly kind of move a lot of these applications onto a layer two without having to kind of restructure uh, the application in some way, shape, or form. This way, we would either have a, a, a transpiler that would actually natively kind of convert these things so that from the developer point of view, they wouldn't really have to do much to kind of get that onto the layer two. Plus, from the user point of view, it would be fairly seamless. So I think this would be a huge unlock for the ecosystem if it actually happens. Uh, definitely, the timeline of this has been brought forward. Like, we were expecting that this was going to be something only available a year or two years from now. But the fact that it's happening right now, the fact that this could be, uh, you know, we, we could have it sometime in 2023, is definitely uh, probably one of the like, uh, most impressive things about uh, the development here. Interesting. And, and so curious to your thoughts here. I mean, have you kind of been playing around with kind of many L2s and, and DeFi and uh, any ZK technologies? Yeah, um, I've tried out uh, 
you know, ZK Sync, um, just personally, um, some of their the development kind of workflows pretty similar to other EVM uh, chains, um, which is great for developers. Uh, I think the main uh, unlock, uh, in the, at least the initial unlock as, as these kind of layer twos release is uh, scalability actually, rather than the ZK, the zero knowledge privacy component, uh, because uh, the structure of these rollups make it so that uh, the throughput is, is significantly more than cu the current uh, rollups that are out there, uh, like Optimism and Arbitrum. So potentially we see much more high throughput apps uh, or like order book dexes or things like that that require high throughput that we've only seen on the likes of, you know, off-chain solutions like DYDX or, or, or chains like Solana uh, happen in these, in these rollups. Um, so looking forward to that. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and David, you mentioned three three names that are kind of winning mindshare there. Uh, there's there's still many others that um, are, are kind of launching, working on the technology um, that, that kind of might start to gain some traction. I feel like it comes back to the old adage that you need people with um, use cases. You need people to actually use these things. And the teams that can combine both great tech and good BD uh, potentially are the ones that, that win out in the, in the longer term. But, um, but George, going back to your, your chart there, there's a couple of losers there. Um, Lido, AXS, what, what's going on there? Yeah, so um, I think Lido, we were uh, obviously a, a little bit overbought and maybe there was a little bit you know, too much hype. So that's coming uh, out with these uh, liquid staking derivatives. And actually, um, just, just one other point with regards to uh, ZK uh, rollups. Um, if you look at, you mentioned obviously uh, user numbers, um, and it does seem that so I, I had a look at ZK Sync and, and Starkware also, and it did look a little bit like you know um, we peaked there um, maybe in the first half of December, and actually uh, user numbers have been going down. And uh, the other question is how many of those are real users, and how many of them are actually doing you know something called airdrop farming, I guess. Uh, so just um, a couple of other things to consider, but. Um, XE uh, is, is another interesting one. So um, we mentioned it in last week's uh, call, obviously. Uh, and that, in that case, there was an, a big token unlock also, I think around uh, $65 million about a week ago. And uh, again, this is obviously not the main reason or the only reason probably why it has gone down at 12.5% over the week. Uh, but I do think that, you know, in this particular case, this, this unlock has certainly um, contributed to the price action that we've seen. Yeah, and, and so one one notable um, omission from your chart there is is Aptos. Now that that has just had an, an unbelievable move in the last uh, last week or so. Um, I was reading a report, and apparently there was five hundred thousand monthly active users on Aptos, uh, which was I think it was from the Aptos team. So it's kind of tough to verify, and there's not a huge amount of infrastructure around that. Um, Greg, I know you've been looking at that, looking at perps. Like, curious to kind of hear some thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, got a lot of questions on Aptos last week. Uh, Token had quite the run, as you said. Um, you know, a few different reasons why. Uh, there have been some positive news reports, um, you know, varied news reports, I should say. Um, one was the token was integrated into another wallet, the Atomic Wallet. Uh, their NFT collection has been gaining momentum, and we know, you know, how explosive that can be for uh, different chains. Um Binance also announced new liquidity pools on January 20th, um, and there were arbitrage opportunities on uh, Asian exchanges that led to increased volume. Um, so you can kind of pick whichever combination makes sense to you. But nevertheless, the token was up, you know, 90% plus last week. Um, the interesting thing is that funding rates remain negative for most of the run-up, uh, suggesting shorts were holding on and even piling in. 
Now I checked this morning, those funding rates have actually turned slightly positive. Um, so we may see a retracement in that token. Um, and then on a side note, I hadn't had much experience with the Apto ecosystem. Um, and given it was up so much, you know, I felt like I should uh, do some do some homework there. So um, a few of us uh, bought an NFT. I'm not going to say which one, um, but I will say that the chain was uh, was very fast and uh, easy to use. So I was delighted. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that, that was the. Uh... But uh, you know, what are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, the uh, Aptos, Aptos monkeys, um, an, in, an interesting, uh, interesting collection. As people seem to be following on from from punks and apes and everything else like that. Um, I guess um, one thing that uh, I think is interesting about Aptos, I was discussing with someone last night, is um, potentially VCs that are along the token are looking to hedge out their positions, which may be the reason why the funding rate has been uh, has been negative for so long. Given that, and even with the, the price move higher. Um, but obviously, in order to kind of lock in some of those profits, some of the funding rates you're going to pay over a period of time could get quite, quite high. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that continues to evolve. But there's certainly a lot of early investors that will be sitting on gains as the network hits sort of a fully diluted valuation close to 19 billion with with very limited uh, kind of engagement or traction that people can see in applications, etc. Uh, kind of looking to, to lock some of that in. I think the Bankless guys actually on their podcast, I'm sure many of you listened to it, they had an interesting stat stating that if you looked at um, Aptos versus uh, Ethereum on a um, TBL to um, market cap perspective, it was overvalued by all, overvalued versus Ethereum by 53 times. Um, so, uh, yeah, interesting one to, to keep an eye on there and, and see how that one evolves. Uh, also, on the kind of the L1 side of things, um, looking at uh, Canto, there seems to be a, a, quite a bit of um, pickup and interest on that. Has anyone been looking at that? Still, have you seen kind of the, I know the TVL has grown significantly there and it's uh, an L1 on Cosmos. Curious to hear if you've got any thoughts there. Yeah, I, it's been surprising, a little bit surprising to see the TVL grow uh, so significantly, uh, well past $100 million, uh, because it's it's a little bit of a challenge to bridge over into Canto and start using it. It's not as seamless as some of the other bridges that we've seen, because, you know, it is, it's, it's running on a different architecture. It's on, it's on, a, it's on Cosmos. Uh, but the dynamics of it seem pretty interesting. They haven't really innovated per se on the tech side, but it's more on the, on the, on the ecosystem and how uh, the chain evolves. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. It will be interesting to see what kind of apps get built there. There's only a few dApps there right now, um, but if developers can think of novel applications to build on that. Yeah. So, so I just looked at the stats now. I think it was they went from 66 million of TBO in, on Jan 1 to 137 million now. Uh, and Dex volumes were apparently $2 at the start of Jan. They're now up at 52 million. Um, but I think along with that, the circulating supply has increased from 164 million to 424. So there's definitely been some inflation in the supply there. Uh, I was chatting with a project last week and they were talking about, they were on Cosmos and they were talking about the steps that you needed to take to bridge from Ethereum to, to use the platform. And it's, it sounded like a lot. I, I feel like there's like a lot of work people need to do there to simplify those things. Otherwise, it it's going to be really tough to, to, to get kind of, get traction and move people over from Ethereum. So moving on to macro, David, over to you. We've got a really, really busy week. Um, what's, uh, yeah, what, what, are, what are your views? 
Yeah, you're right. It's a packed calendar right now. You know, we have the Fed decision on Wednesday afternoon, I think uh, is what most people are paying attention to. But we've also got the Bank of England, the ECB on Thursday. We've got ISM, PMI data in the US, non-farm payrolls and the week. And then on the earnings side, we have Apple, Google, Meta. They're all putting out earnings data after market closes. So, uh, you know, we have all of that. And on top of that, today is month end. Uh, today being Tuesday, January 31st. So all of this, I think, really makes it very difficult to kind of trade the market at the moment. So far, what to expect? I would say jobs data has been fairly decent. Some of the sentiment indicators we've been getting, like in previous weeks, we've gotten the Empire Manufacturing. We've got the Philly Fed indicators. You know, the data there has been somewhat mixed. It's hard to kind of be sure what to expect there. Um, I'm kind of curious what the PMI data actually has to say. I think uh, so far we've been seeing people easing off of the soft landing trade as a result of some of the bad hard economic data that we've gotten. But this week, of course, as I kind of mentioned already, big stories of Fed. I'm pretty convinced uh, that they're going to maintain their hawkish bias. I think that for the most part, Mark's already priced in the 25 basis point hike. So that's not really going to necessarily be a very big deal. But I think what's going to be important is whether the market actually ignores the forward guidance that the Fed kind of puts out. Because what we know right now is that financial conditions have actually been coming in somewhat easier. Um, and the Fed's reaction to that has been, okay, but actually, if anything, this might support our soft landing scenario. On the other hand, maybe we need to come in strong and hawkish in order to kind of move that back up. We're not really sure how they're really trying to interpret that financial conditions index at the moment. So overall, I would say market holding in fairly well, considering the expected earnings projections are going to be somewhat weaker across the board. Uh, but it seems like we're at the tail end of the of the hiking cycle, at least with the Fed. I think with regards to the ECB, they're going to press their advantage right now with the, the fact that the winter hasn't been quite as bad as what uh, they were initially anticipating. And I think one last thing to kind of pay attention to is the debt ceiling, because we've definitely crossed that threshold. That debt ceiling was breached. Um, and now that means that the, uh, the Treasury can't issue any new debt until that limit is set. So until that limit gets set sometime, probably in June, because at the moment, extraordinary measures are being used to kind of meet the financial obligations for the U.S. I think until that point happens, markets could actually be relatively OK, because if demand here stays fairly flat, um, that means that rates are going to be anchored because there's only so much debt that can actually continue being supplied on the secondary markets. So I think until we get into the end of the second quarter, then we could see things being really volatile because if the you know ec economy starts to soften at that point and we don't have a debt ceiling limit kind of set, um, that's going to be the big problem. But that's all contingent on not getting any major negative surprises on the economic data. So, Greg, I want to bring you in here. Um, we've had, had a great run of late. We've got uh, the Fed this week. Is the market pricing this to perfection? And, and do we have downside potential downside risk here? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I mean, the risk is is certainly to the downside, I think. If, um, you know, I th we're going to get 25 basis points tomorrow. Um, that's been very well telegraphed. Uh, I think the press conference is going to be, you know, very important. And I just don't see how um, Powell doesn't try to use that to reset expectations. Um, if you look at that chart that um, David had up, you know, 
we're pricing in a good amount of rate cuts um, in the, the back half of this year. And I think what Jay Powell is going to try to do is, is flatten that curve a bit. Um, so it looks maybe a bit more like the chart on the right, um, which is the ECBs. Um, and if he does that, you know, you'd expect risk assets to sell off. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot to, uh, to be learned tomorrow. And, and until then, I, I do agree with David. Um, trading in front of this, um, unless you have a clear view, is, is probably ill-advised. Yep, that, make, that, make, that makes, it makes a ton of sense. Um, always, always told never, never trade over earnings, never trade over, over, over kind of large data um, when you really have no edge. So maybe, maybe we've got some flat books out there. And uh, so Greg, we'd love to um, stay with you there. So trade flows, if we move on to the next slide, um, what are we seeing on the desk? Yeah, so volumes on exchange are still healthy and uh, above levels that we were seeing late last year. Um, and as we just talked about, the market's really going to hinge on what happens tomorrow. Uh, positioning looks to be rather neutral. Uh, basis is marginally positive, as are most funding rates. Um, and that's what you'd expect in a balanced market, um, given there is a cost of capital, especially where rates are now. Um, and we're also seeing one month option skew is back to flat from the more bullish positioning that we saw last week. So kind of any metric we look at, um, the crypto market seems to be pretty uh, neutrally positioned. Um, when we look at the charts, both BTC and ETH are, are no longer bought, overbought, I'm sorry, uh, based on the RSI. Um, and that'll allow for more upside if we do get a dovish surprise tomorrow. Um, however, you know, real support levels are a ways down from current pricing. So, you know, as we just talked about, this is really a wait and see market. Um, you know, I'm going to wait, hear what Powell has to say, see how risk markets respond, um, and then act accordingly. Are we seeing any particular client segments that are, are kind of are typically like, have high buy ratios or low buy ratios or, or anything like that as we kind of yeah, yeah of course uh everyone wants to know what you know everyone else in the market is doing um which makes sense you know john maynard Keynes uh, famously described markets as a beauty contest uh where you don't pick who you think is most beautiful you know rather you win by picking who everyone else thinks is most beautiful um so right now traditional crypto hedge funds still think crypto is beautiful um they're net buyers um as are traditional financial institutions. Um, on the sell side, we have crypto VCs. And of course, the miners are still using uh, this price action to uh, to sell into and, and hopefully repair their balance sheet. That's great. Thanks so much, Greg. Uh, actually, let's turn it over to Sid. Sid, can you talk a little bit about DeFi? I know you're looking at a couple of things here right now with uh, respect to Cardano, Aave. Uh, can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, a few big points of uh, news from the past week. Uh, one was Cardano, the network suffered a, a brief outage where 50% of its nodes uh, disconnected from the network um, on, on January 21st. And uh, so developers are still investigating why that happened. Um, uh, and there's an active investigation underway, but it's a pretty significant number. So something to keep an eye on uh, whether this leads to further instability. But uh, for now, you know, services has resumed. Uh, another interesting point of note, uh, a news point came out was uh, the ratings agency Moody's is apparently developing a system to uh, score around 20 stable coins um, based on the quality of their uh, of their reserves. 
Um, so this is an interesting development because, you know, it's obviously an ongoing debate within crypto with USDT and then different flavors of decentralized stable coins as to uh, how reliable and how resilient they are, especially in the wake of what happened with the uh, UST and Luna. And, uh, and you know, uh, we'll see how it, how it develops. And related to stable coins, um, another really interesting piece of news is uh, the upcoming launch of the Go GHO stablecoin from Aave. Um, so the Aave team obviously has uh, one of the largest lending and borrowing markets in DeFi. Uh, and they're proposing to launch a stablecoin called Go, which will be basically backed by various types of crypto assets as collateral where users can deposit uh, crypto and then mint go in return and uh, this will have a, a an ongoing interest rate that's set by facilitators uh, who are voted on by Aave governance and uh, so and then you know the stablecoin will be freely circulating um, so it's a similar kind of uh, model to what maker does with Dai, um, but it's obviously backed by various mechanisms within the Aave protocol so we'll see how it develops and uh, whether it gains any traction it's interesting to see we, we continue to see different types of stable coins uh, and it's amazing to see moody's taking taking a look at that greg curious if you any thoughts on, on that specifically yeah i think this news is actually huge um stable coins are you know one of the parts of crypto that probably has the most utility right now and seeing a traditional financial uh, rating agency come into the market and really evaluate it um is is gonna really help uh further adoption so, you know, I'm, I'm very uh, happy to see this and I'm excited to, to read the report when it comes out. Yeah, I agree. I feel like it's one area that has kind of got like product market fit. Like we've got north of 100 yards of stable coins and they use uh, transactions, like tons of transactions every single day. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I agree. It's great to see some more um, kind of validation for the, for the space there. Um, awesome. So, Sid, anything else from a Web3 and DeFi perspective that, that's kind of caught your eye this week? Um, nothing in particular. I mean, uh, key themes to keep in mind, of course, is the upcoming Shanghai upgrade for Ethereum. Uh, they released a, a pretty big blog post with FAQs on exactly how the withdrawal processes work. Uh, so recommended reading for anyone who's who's interested. Um, and, and then, you know, this will obviously impact the entire liquid staking derivatives ecosystem. So another thing to keep in mind and keep an eye on, especially as pegs and liquidity will really drive how the market dynamics for these uh, these tokens work. Yeah, I agree. Def definitely feels like we're going to see a bit of volatility in in a lot of those tokens over the next few weeks as, uh, as we do launch launch those. Perfect. Well, that's a wrap for this week. Uh, thank you, everybody, for, for your help. And thank you for those listening in. Um, we will see you next week and have a great week out there. Take care. All statements and analysis correspond to the date of this recording. This recording is only intended for sophisticated investors. This recording should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Coinbase nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any of the information contained in this recording. The views expressed in this recording are not necessarily those of Coinbase. Coinbase is not providing any financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations. The receipt of this recording by any listener is not to be taken as a giving of investment advice by Coinbase to that listener.